Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially. You can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Hey, if you have your Bibles, flip on over to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, as we continue our conversation in, um, in, in this series called Come to Me, where we take a close look at Jesus' invitation to come to him and find the peace and rest that he gives. This, is, this was his invitation we found in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, uh, we spent a couple of weeks really chopping that up and taking a close look at it so we really feel the words of Jesus there. And he, he invites you, he says, come to me, all you who are weary. You fit in that category? All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. Now, that sounds a bit mystical and like how in the world do we pull that off? How do we come to Jesus? And so that's kind of why we've shaped up this entire sermon series of really looking at the rhythms and practices and habits that the Word of God introduces to us and Jesus introduces to us himself that we can learn like what vehicles we can drive in our lives and the patterns of our lives to come to Jesus regularly, frequently, so that that peace and rest that he has can be ours. And so we're really looking at these rhythms and practices throughout the series. Some of you, if you grew up in the church world, you may have called them spiritual disciplines. That sounds kind of wooden to me, uh, even though that's a, you know, a good name to call it, I guess. But we're going to go with rhythm, uh, spiritual rhythms and practices for the sake of us coming to Jesus. Um, now, the last couple of weeks, we, we took two weeks to look at that invitation that Jesus gave us, and then we spent a couple of weeks looking at uh, rhythm and practice. Number one that we believe is very foundational, the Word of God, because that's going to shape our view of God and, and how we learn Him and learn His love for us and how He sees us and views us. Um, and then last week, we talked a little bit about worship, and so we, we feel like those are just foundational rhythms and practices in our lives. Um, and that, they, they really inform a lot of the other rhythms and practices that we will learn to look at uh, and learn to do in, in, through the scriptures and in our conversations over the weekend. But um, I wanted to, while you're flipping over to Matthew 16, I wanted to uh, let you know that the rhythm and practice today is probably going to be your favorite one of all time. Um, it's one that you probably don't hear too many sermons about because it just doesn't preach well in the good old U.S. of A. And it's the rhythm and practice, the biblical rhythm and practice of... Y'all ready for this? You ain't ready for this. Trust me, you're not ready for this. The rhythm and practice of self-denial. Some of y'all can't even spell that. <laughs> now, I've got a few things I need to let you know that are going around, it, around GBC, so I figured I'd set that up first. That way, if you wanted to try to escape because you didn't want to hear a sermon on self-denial, like this is your opportunity but I hope that you'll hang around. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think you're going to find some biblical, practical wisdom for your everyday life that will help just begin to start the process of setting you free. And just so you know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, our goal is to help lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus and, one, and, and other folks in the church family, just like we do with the regular attenders. And, and by the way, like I probably should mention, um, this thing that we just did, if, if you are not, if you didn't grow up in the church world, if this is your first time ever kind of stepping into a church environment, that might have felt kind of weird, like what in the world are they talking about? Like this is, this is what um, kind of scripture shows us. This is one of the sacred, what we call sacraments. 
Um, one of just the sacred things that we do in the Christian faith that help us remember. Uh, all of those things um, th- that, that we do in religion are meant to kind of point us back to what Jesus has done, what God has done. And this is one of those times um, that we, every once in a while, we get together and we have the, you know, have the wafer and the cup. And that's supposed to represent the body of Jesus. It, we don't believe that it's his actual body. And the, the, the uh, grape juice represents his blood that was poured out for us. And it's just a time of like reflection so that we can go back and even like Chris said, like step into the room with the disciples when Jesus rolled this out for the first time and invited, and invited them to see every meal that they ever had as a, as, a, as a reminder of who Jesus was and what he's done. And so we as a church family, it's really sweet and powerful to us as Christians because it gives us a chance to just remember together and just kind of quiet the noise a little bit and reflect on the love that Jesus has for whosoever would believe in him. And we hope that you would choose to believe in him as well. Speaking of sacred sacraments, uh, we got to practice another one last weekend. Um, and so, those of you that were here, you got to enjoy any time throughout the weekend, you got to enjoy the fact that we got to baptize, like water baptize, dunk people underwater, kind of, again, another symbol of our faith. We got to baptize 29 people right here in this room last weekend. It was pretty awesome. And uh, all ages, all walks of life, all demographics, just people that have been hearing the voice of God in their life just and giving their life over to the Lord. And um, so we, we got to experience uh, just little kids um, all the way to, you know, really, really grown folk that's been around for a while um, that are now just, just publicly being baptized. And we'll talk about that at another time, but uh, what baptism means uh, when we get closer to doing it again, for those of you that don't understand what that means yet. Uh, but it was really sweet that we even got to see 17 high school football players get baptized last weekend, which was pretty cool. And speaking of that, yeah, right? I see some of the coaches out there. Uh, this morning. Speaking of that, we actually have, we're not doing baptism again this morning, but we have some more high school football players. The football players you met last week were Lake Placid high school football players, but with us this morning, you might have seen these boys come in, is the Sebring JV football team coming to worship with us today. Y'all stand up so they can see you. Yeah, what's up, boys? Welcome to Grace. Yeah, man. I'm glad y'all are here. Okay, y'all can sit down. That was enough. No, I'm just kidding. We're glad you're here. I see some of the coaches, Coach Brooks, Coach Jones, um, and and I see a variety of different coaches around the room. And I I just wanted y'all, this is an example. I told you guys last week, Lake Placid football isn't the only ones that see uh, the ministry and the mission of the gospel in the context of football, Sebring coaches are doing the same thing. And so we celebrate, this has been on the schedule for a while, having the JV team. We didn't mean to have them back-to-back like that, but that's just how it worked. But welcome, Sebring JV football team, man. We're grateful that y'all are here. We celebrate what you guys are doing this season. Y'all been having a great year. I see you putting up some points. I keep track. Uh, Coach Brooks always posts a picture of the scoreboard after every football game, so I check his page to see what the scores were, man, and, I, and I'm grateful that y'all took the time to come and be a part of the church environment so we can worship the Lord together. So welcome again to Grace, man. I'm glad y'all are here. Um, now, I told you I had to mention a couple of things that are going on. Um, for those of you that have been interested in getting involved in a Sunday school class, there's one actually happening right now during the 10 o'clock service. 
Um, they're studying the book of Mark together. It's happening in that classroom over there. Don't feel bad if you want to slip out and join that. That's fine. You can catch the next service uh, in here, or you can uh, start coming at 830 and then catch Sunday school afterwards. But yeah, we're studying the book of Mark in a Sunday school environment led by one of our uh, team teachers here at GBC named Jonathan Guerrero. And so I hope that uh, those of you that are interested will join in on doing that. Now, speaking of like groups and stuff, we're going to be doing a groups ministry uh, orientation and groups ministry launch over the next couple of weeks. For those of you that have been like wanting to get involved in a small group or in a grace group as we call it, um, we have a groups orientation happening this Wednesday night. And Pastor Cam will walk all of you that are interested in learning more about what it means to be in a group, kind of what our mission, vision, and values are for groups ministry at GBC. It's just kind of like an introductory conversation that's happening this Wednesday night so that next Wednesday night on the 13th, um, we can start preparing for a group's launch. And we're going to turn our Wednesday night environment. We clear out a bunch of these chairs. We're going to put tables in here. We're going to put chairs all around the tables and start to kind of gather you as like pilot groups, we'll call it. Uh, where you're going to kind of get teamed up with either people that you already know uh, or just people that live around your area of the community um, so that you can sit around the table, go through some uh, gospel curriculum over the next eight weeks or so, just start developing relationships, um, getting to know one another uh, with the ultimate goal of, of now planting you back in your neighborhoods and back in your parts of the community so that you're not just a small group gathering to eat a meal and open the Bible, but you're gathering together with the intent of mission to reach that neighborhood for the sake of the gospel, literally living out the Great Commission together as a group the way that the Bible meant for us to all along. So um, orientation, if you have questions, be here this Wednesday night. But if you want to jump into a pilot group and just kind of get to know some folks uh, in your area of the community and get involved, that'll be next Wednesday night the 13th, and then last but not least, on October 11th, say October 11th, all right? Where's the ladies in the house? Where y'all at? Okay, six of y'all. Where's the ladies in the house? Where y'all at? So October 11th, what, used to, what we used to call women to women is now we just call grace women, and they're doing, instead of like monthly gatherings, they're doing quarterly large gatherings with the intent of having smaller, like Bible study type groups, Sunday school type groups, grace, like small uh, in-home type groups of ladies um, throughout the rest of the quarter. So this, this is the fall um, Grace Women's large gathering that's going to happen on October 11th right here in this room. And what you're going to experience, this is by ladies for ladies um, right here on the 11th in this room. Um, it, what's going to happen this month, you're going to actually get to hear from four different ladies uh, that are within our church family and community that know the Lord and walk with the Lord and you're going to get to hear from ladies that are in different seasons of their journey of life and how God is proving himself to continue to be faithful during those tough seasons of life. Let me, Ansley actually, my wife actually texted me exactly what to say. So let me do that. She might be watching online. She said, we're going to have a panel of ladies that represent the different physical seasons of life. So you're going to have a young single woman. You're going to have a mother that has small children in the home. You're going to have a mother that has like grown up kids um, and uh, with maybe even a kid at the house. And then you're going to have a senior adult woman who has been like even caring for her even more senior adult mother. And so um, different physical seasons of life. And they're going to be testifying to the faithfulness of God through the season that they have currently been walking through. 
the season of transition, the season of change, the season of tragedy and loss, and the season of obedience and believing and walking out the truths of the gospel. There'll be time of discussion for you around the tables as ladies. I'm kind of in a smaller group environment, but that'll be happening in this room, 5.30, October 11th. Okay, now, I think that was it for all the things I had to let you know about. And so hopefully by now you are in Matthew chapter 16. Let me know if you're there. All right, all right, I love when eight people are there. Um, We'll have it on the Bible in the sky just in case you forgot your Bible. But I want to encourage you, bring a physical copy of the Word of God with you every weekend. I want you to make sure I'm not lying to you. And also want you to take notes and underline and highlight things so that you can go back and reference those things and learn to kind of interpret and digest the Word of God for yourself. All right, but this is always here as a help. We'll throw it up there so you can see it all the way in the back. But we're in this series called Come to Me. This isn't, we didn't come up with that phrase, Jesus did. It's one of the sweetest invitations in all of the Bible, and I love the fact that he invites the weary and heavy laden. Those are the people that meet the criteria of who he's inviting. It wasn't the super spiritual or the accomplished theologian. It wasn't the person with a good track record of church attendance or serving or giving. It was, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we're looking at, throughout this series, the the, the rhythms and the practices, the spiritual disciplines that the Word of God introduces to us so that we know what vehicles we can drive in getting to Jesus. Now, I've said it every week. Some weeks I've not done a good job. I'm going to try to do a good job this week of s- explaining this one tension that we're dealing with here as we look through these rhythms and practices and spiritual disciplines. Here's the, here's the big tension. Um, all of those things... Reading the word, worship, giving, serving, confession, self-denial, like all of those things, like those are really important parts of your relationship with Jesus, but they are not your relationship with Jesus. Okay? Here's what I'm saying. You could do all the things, check all the boxes. One of y'all probably got up this morning a little extra early and you read six chapters in your Bible. I'm going to use this example week after week. And then you jumped in your car and you turned up that christian music. And now you are sitting in a church service. And now you're thinking about hanging around for the next one. And you sang at the top of your lungs. And you like did all the churchy christian things. And it's possible that you could have done all that stuff and not be any closer to Jesus than you were yesterday. Because all these things, these rhythms and habits, like these are important in your relationship with Jesus, but they are not your relationship with Jesus. In other words, they are not a destination to be landed on. They're the vehicles that we get to drive into his arms. Some people have read the Bible cover to cover to cover throughout their lives and still do not personally know the king of glory. You may sing the songs or enjoy the radio station or whatever and still not personally know the king of glory. So let me just say for the sake of tension, like, All these rhythms and practices and habits, they are vehicles for your relationship with Jesus, but they are not your relationship with Jesus. I don't want you to be under the illusion that if you do all those things that you know him. I also don't want you to be under the illusion that if you're not doing all those things that you know him. You hear what I'm saying? It's the tension of both and. Let's not pretend if we're not like regularly 
seeking out the Lord in prayer and worship and giving, and like regularly doing the things that he calls. Let's not pretend that we know the king of glory if we're not meeting him in the places where he told us to meet up with him at. Let's also not be under the illusion that if we're checking all the spiritual boxes that our heart is bowed before him as king. That's why we started out with what we believe to be the two most foundational, the word of God and the worship of God because they inform everything else that we're gonna talk about. And today we're gonna talk about the one that doesn't preach well in the good old US of A, because quite honestly, we didn't show up to church this morning hoping to hear a sermon about denying ourselves. We wanted the six steps to a a healthier, happier, wealthier life. And I think we're gonna find out today that that is not part of the story of God that he has for us. That is not the intentions of his word. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 16, we're talking about coming to Jesus, right? How do we come to Jesus? How do we constantly cling to the vine and retreat to the feet of the father? Like Jesus said it in his own words right here. He says, Jesus said to his disciples, verse 24 of chapter 16 of Matthew says, if anyone, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Hmm? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Self-denial? Like, yeah, let me phrase it up like this. What we're talking about is the spiritual rhythm of no, saying no to you and me. This is one of the healthiest rhythms that we can have in our walk with Jesus. And quite honestly, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this because we live at a day and age at a point in history where technology is to the point that it's as it is. Like most of us don't say no to ourselves at all. And we don't even say wait to ourselves. As a matter of fact, like the days of like having to Save up your money for something that you wanted. Maybe even, you know, getting a ride to the store to be able to buy the thing that you want. And just those months or even years of anticipation of getting whatever you want. Like, those are kind of behind us now because we can click a button and have it put on credit and show up to our house the next day on our doorstep. So, like, we live in the land of indulgences. Like, we just kind of get what we want, when we want. Even if it's, like, puts us in financial crisis, we have a means of reaching out and grabbing the things that we want to have in our lives. And it's created a mess of us. It's created a mess of us. And it's, it's caused us to misunderstand just the beauty and the power of waiting and longing and saying no to ourselves for the glory of God as an act of worship to him. Like the idea of fasting, the idea of just trusting God through the seasons and the hardships and the struggle and not wanting some microwaved answer and response from God to hurry up and get to work and hurry up and do the thing. The prophet Jeremiah wrote the book of Jeremiah. He also wrote the book of Lamentations, which means to be your breast. Jeremiah faithfully served God all the days of his life, but yet never got to see the fruit of God working through his life and ministry. But yet he stayed faithful and he stayed steadfast in trusting God. Like we, we don't know what that's like. We want it right now. We want to be entertained in our church services. We want to be entertained with our sermons and our music. We don't understand the rhythm of no very well, but Jesus says anyone who would come after me has to, must deny himself and take up his cross to follow me. 
Now, some historians believe that when Jesus said these words, just kind of where he and the apostles were traveling at that particular point in history, that they were walking into a city that had recently just had a major rebellion. I'm talking about an insurrection. Many people tried to overthrow the powers of that city. So the Roman government stepped in, and any of those people that tried to rebel against Rome in that particular city, they had... they. They've got capital punishment, which at that particular time was nailing them to a cross through crucifixion. Just to make sure that all the rebels were done away with. Now, as an extra measure, just to make sure there was no more rebellion in the city, once they had all these corpses hanging on the crosses, they lined the city streets with the crosses, with the bodies hanging on them, just in case you thought about starting to rebel again. And as Jesus walks into this city with his apostles, and they're discussing the things of their day. And one of the apostles even goes so far to tell Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter what. Jesus says, I'll tell you what, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Can you imagine the chill that went down the spine of those apostles, recognizing that Jesus just told them that following him was going to be about doing it his way, not their way. Following him might even take them as far as losing their lives for the sake of following Jesus. Yeah, you might just have to take up your cross to follow me, Jesus says. Now, we, we, while, while we may be able to fill that story, like, oh, man, that would have been tough. Like, we don't have a direct connection to that, most of us in our lives, because we live at a point in history that, by the grace of God, like, we, we don't, I mean, we just have... High school football players show up to church and we celebrated it. Like most Christians around the world don't get that luxury. There are many Christians around the world even today that are having to meet in what's called the underground church so that their governments don't find out because they could lose their lives. So when they read those verses of following Jesus, they get that this might cost me everything. Something we don't really understand very well and quite honestly Not only are we not concerned about it costing us everything, we don't really even have any intentions of laying aside our preferences for following Jesus. See, we heard Jesus' invitation to come to him as if he said, you know what, you keep doing what you're doing and I will come to you and I will give you peace and rest. When Jesus really said in Matthew chapter 11, no, 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 you stop what you're doing, you come to me and I will give you rest. You come to me. And so... The rhythm and the practice of self-denial is also very foundational in our walk with Jesus as we learn the rhythm of no. Now, are you all ready for us to walk through some scriptures in the Bible where the Bible actually calls us to deny ourselves in some specific areas? Are you ready for that, American church? Are you sure? I'm just going to read the scriptures to you. I may comment on some of them. I'm going to present this to you. Much of this is the words of Jesus. Some of this are the words of the apostles in very specific areas where we as Christians are called to deny ourselves the right to do a thing, believe a thing, act out in a certain area. And I'm going to be honest with you ahead of time. Like, I'm going to give you about 12 of them, and we'll roll through them as quick as we can. i am be honest with you, like it's going to be very uncomfortable because we like to make use of all of our rights. We like to get things our way, and we live in a have-it-your-way kind of world. But the kingdom of God is the upside-down kingdom. 
The one where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The one where the king was the greatest servant of all. So him calling us to deny ourselves is not something that he himself hasn't already done. He gave up the throne of glory to come and walk on the face of the earth so that we might kill him. So that we could be set free. So that we could be made whole. So that we could be forgiven of our sins. I hope that you'll hear the voice of the Holy Spirit this morning as he may kind of prick your heart in one of these categories or maybe a category we don't even get to and hear the voice of God inviting you to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him and come to him and find the peace and rest that only he can give in your life. All right, let's start out with probably the broadest one that's going to kind of pay dividends and all the rest of the conversation. All right, as Christ followers, for those of you that are, all right, as Christ followers, God's word calls believers in Jesus Christ to deny themselves the right to live by our own rules. What do you think? To deny ourselves the right to live by our own rules and instead to live by his. We see this in John chapter 14, verse 23 and 24 and Jesus answered him and said, if anyone loves me, he's going to keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him, but whoever does not love me does not keep my words. They just kind of do things however they want to do things. And the word that you hear is not mine, but it's the Father who sent me. So God's speaking through me to you in saying this. I guess we're about to find out if we agree with this first one or not by the way that we respond to the rest of them. I figured I'd start with the broadest. And the word of God calls Christ's followers to not play by their own rules, but to do it God's way. Is that new news to anybody? Yeah, I think we all kind of agree on that one. Let's see how well we do on the rest of these. Um, as Christ's followers, the word of God calls us to deny ourselves the right to be comfortable. Yeah, as a matter of fact, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 57 and 58, he tells his disciples. He says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, oh, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I wonder who said that. I'm going to be there with no matter what. And Jesus said to him, listen here, if you're going to follow me, you probably should understand something. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, this is going to be a bumpy ride. It's going to be uncomfortable. Because around every corner, instead of seeking your own comfort, you're going to be listening for the voice of God and seeking his will. And that's just going to be uncomfortable. It's going to rub against the grain of what culture is doing. It's going to rub against the grain of what your personal preferences are at times. But like, to deny ourselves is to lay down our right to believe that we deserve to be comfortable. Uh, not only do we believe that it is our right as Christians to make ourselves as comfortable as possible, we actually go as far as believing that it's God's responsibility to make it happen. You know how I know that? Because when things go sideways in our lives, the phone calls that I get are, Dustin, why would God let this happen to me? Why me, God? But when we're in our seasons of great comfort and surplus, we're not looking at heaven saying, why me, God? Why would you do this for me? But when things go south, we say, God, why would you do this to me? We really believe somewhere in our heart of hearts that it's God's highest responsibility because we love him, that he should make us as comfortable as possible. That's not what the word of God says anywhere, by the way. As a matter of fact, 
It's going to be a tough journey at times. It's going to be very uncomfortable often. And Jesus modeled that for us. It's going to be beautiful and it's going to be worth it. But comfort is not our highest goal. It's to live lives that are honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting that even in our discomfort, that he's going to glorify himself. And it's going to be for the good of those around us that they might see him as king and worship him. Maybe your discomfort is the very thing that God is using for someone else to see Jesus. Is that worth it to you? You okay with that? I know it's tough. But as Christ's followers, the word of God calls us to lay down the right to believe that we should be comfortable. You're going to like this one. Philippians 2.14 reminds us that the word of God calls us as believers to lay down our right to complain. <laughs> Even at church, by the way, you know. There's a reason why we just have a joy box back there instead of a complaint box. You know what's crazy, though, is because there is no complaint box, people will actually put complaints in the joy box. You know the irony of that? What's wrong with you? It is not uncommon for me to be like about to walk up on stage to try to get before the king of glory and try to declare his words as best as I can, trust in the Holy Spirit, and somebody will grab me on my way up here to complain about something. It happens all the time. We complain a lot, don't we? I do. I know you do. We complain often. As a matter of fact, I almost had to call old JJ to come put the baptismal waters back up here again after that Florida-Kentucky game yesterday. I was going to need to get cleansed of my unrighteousness. I did a lot of complaining. I did a lot of complaining. The Word of God calls us, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, the Apostle Paul told us, do all things without grumbling or disputing. In other words, do all things without complaining or arguing. Complaining or arguing. Man, I don't know what it is. Like, I guess as Christians, we feel like we're trying to, supposed to be fighting some holy war on social media or something. Like the world needs to know how much we hate stuff. You know what's happened as a result of that? The world is more familiar with what the church stands against than what the church stands for. And that's a problem. It's because we're not walking in the understanding of denying ourselves the right to complain. We think that not only is it our right, it's our responsibility to complain because we're standing for God's word. No, we're not. And it's not changing the world. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can change the world. And there really isn't any complaining happening in the good news gospel of Jesus. That's why it's called good, good, really good news. As Christ followers, we also lay down our right, listen, to hold on to grudges and bitterness. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive Forgiveness, I'm going to just square with y'all. Forgiveness is probably the hardest thing to do this side of heaven. Man, it's rough. Because those people or that person really hurt you. And it's legitimate hurt, legitimate pain, legitimate grief, a legitimate grudge that you're holding in your heart. But the Word of God calls us as Christ followers 
to lay down our right to carry that burden or that grudge with us any longer. And by the way, when the Word of God calls us to do something, he also provides a sufficient supply of the life of Jesus to pull it off for us. In other words, what I mean by that is like you, you can't forgive that person because what they did to you was so bad. I mean, who could forgive them? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was wicked. It was vile. It was like, who could forgive somebody like that? You can't do that. Jesus knew that we would come to those impasses in our lives as Christians, that there would just be certain things that he calls us to do that we just can't do. The mountain's too steep in front of us. And so this is why he told us in John 14, for example, he says, I'm not just going to come dwell with you. I'm going to come live in you. He's not calling us to do a thing that we have to do independently of the forgiving spirit of Christ that now dwells richly within us, O Christian. He's not calling you to try to conjure up the willpower to forgive somebody that you don't have the strength to forgive. He's inviting us to trust the forgiving one himself that dwells within us, that forgave us of so much. And it's the forgiving life of Jesus that has forgiven the sins of whosoever would believe now dwells within you and can be that strength and that extra mile of resilience to offer forgiveness to those in your life as well. Literally, Jesus empowering you to forgive because it is he that is forgiving through you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and as I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives within me. You can make those words interchangeable. It is I who no longer forgive, but it is Christ who forgives in me. That's the good news of the gospel and the present tense work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That kind of leads to another one. We've also given up the right to seek revenge. What? Man, we, we like to level the playing field, don't we? Man, we want it's not enough to just hold on to the bitterness and the grudge. Like, we want them to feel the sting too. You know what I'm saying? Well, the Word of God tells us, Romans 12, 19 through 20, Beloved, hey, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, because it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, well, God, if vengeance is yours, like, what am I supposed to do in the meantime? Because I'm restless over here. He says, all right, here's what you're going to do. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, giving something to drink, by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And everybody said, yeah, like that's the part I wanted to get to. Like this is what I want. So when do I get to heap the burning coals on the head? Because like I want to get there as fast as I can, you know, like. And it was interesting. Scholars scatter a bit on what was meant when that was said, when Jesus said these words to us, or or, uh, Paul said these words to the Romans. Um. One of, the, one of the, the scholarly positions that I feel is the most contextually accurate, and the reason why I say that is because the first part of the verse is God explaining that he is going to level the playing field. He'll take care of the revenge part. You don't worry about that. It seems to shift gears in the middle of the verse, and it says, but in the meantime, like, you need to serve. Serve your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Like, this is one of the common threads throughout Scripture. So, When he says, because by doing so, you will heap burning coals on top of his head. I actually believe, and some scholars believe, that it is a a reference to a very cultural thing in their world at that particular time. And and this is what would happen. They they all lived in what was was 
basically on the map would have been Asia Minor back in those days. And so one of the cultural practices they had, obviously, like they had a hearth in the middle of the home and you would keep coals burning in the hearth because that's how you kept the house warm. But that's also how you would start a fire or that's how you would cook. So like it was critical to your life to keep the coals burning in the hearth. But there would be times due to extenuating circumstances that the coals would go out. And so you would have to go knock on a neighbor's door and ask them, for more coals so that you could get the hearth, the fire started again. And the way that you would travel, you wouldn't want to just carry it like in a, in a basket where you're going to be breathing in the smoke and feel the heat blowing up in the face. They would carry it kind of in a bowl or a pot on the top of their head so that heat rises so it just, it wasn't blowing in their face. And so if your neighbor was generous, they would heap burning coals on top of your head so that you had more than enough to get done what you needed to get done. You catching the picture? It's not just giving them a little bit to drink or a little bit to eat. Jesus is saying, hey, in the meantime, serve them with more than enough. When your enemy's hearth actually goes out, when they really hit a place of crisis in their life where one of the most centrally critical things in their life has just, the rug's been pulled, don't look at that as a moment for vengeance. Look at that as a moment to serve. And when they come over to your house and knock on the door, don't just give them something to eat and drink, but heap burning coals on top of their head. Give them more than enough to meet their need and the need of their family. Is, doesn't that sound a lot more like Jesus? That's what he's calling us to. Heap burning coals on top of even our enemies' heads. Um, as Christ followers, we also give up the right to put ourselves first. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, I was talking to Ansley about the sermon, my wife, throughout the week, and she said, you know, that's one of the areas where God dealt with me the most when I knew that we were about to get married. I'm like, yeah, do tell. What was he telling you? And she said, no, one of the things that I just felt like the Holy Spirit kept telling me is, Ansley, when you say I do, what you are doing is you are choosing to lay down your rights and pick up your responsibilities. That, that's mar marriage counseling in three seconds right there. When you say I do to a spouse, when God gives you the gift of a child, when you step into a, a relationship with somebody, when you step into a relationship with the body of believers, the call is not to arrive at the front door saying, what can this do for me? Not as a Christ follower. We don't walk into rooms looking, who can, looking for who can serve us. We walk into rooms looking for whose feet we can wash. And God spoke to Ansley in that way, and that resonates here, man, that when, when we, the life of the Christian is about laying down our rights and picking up our responsibilities for the glory of God, as an act of worship to him, whether we eat, drink, or whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. There you go, Marriage Counseling 101. Y'all are welcome. Tip jars in the back. Speaking of tips, you're going to love this one. You're going to love this one. Okay, uh, as a Christ follower, the Word of God calls us to lay down our right to pretend that my money is my money. 
I've got just a few more, okay? I'm, I was trying to warm you up for this one. Yeah, we lay down our right to pretend or believe or even act like my money is my money. As the way Jesus put this, Jesus spoke a lot about money and resources because he knew like this would be a hard one for us to deal with. This would be a hard area of our lives to deny ourselves. And so he spoke about it a lot. This is one of the areas. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust could destroy and thieves could break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust could destroy and thieves do not break in to steal. Listen, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is not only calling us to deny ourselves and thinking that everything I got is mine and I work for it and so I need to hoard it and keep it for myself, but he told us, like, just as a litmus test for us, he says, I... I put something inside of you just so that I could tell, that you could tell, that you knew where your loyalties lie. I put this eternal tether between your heart and your wallet because I wanted you to know that whatever you spend the most money on is what you love the most. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the opposite is true. Wherever your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And he calls us to be reminded as Christ followers that we lay down our right to pretending like my money is my money. Now, when the economy's doing better like it has been doing, we tend to kind of drift back into default and say, man, look at what I've built. Look at how good I'm doing. Look at how much my house sold for. Like, you know, I'm just kind of doing this thing right. I bet a lot of us didn't feel that way in 08, 09, and 10 when businesses were closing, when houses were being foreclosed upon, when financially, like the landscape of our lives would just flipped upside down on its head. We didn't feel in such control then, did we? We probably didn't learn our lesson. The world economy is so engrafted and together. Like we, we are not in control of the financial situation in our lives. It is the goodness and the grace of God that he allows us any of the resources that we have. And he didn't have no problem getting it to us. He just has a problem getting it through us. And so he's inviting us as the people of God. You want to come to me? Lay down your right even to thinking that what I have given you is your own. You're just a steward of it. I've just let you borrow it for a time. You're going to like this one because we don't do a good job at this. Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are those when others revile you or persecute you or utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Yeah, Jesus calls us to lay down our right as Christ followers to always feel like we got to defend ourselves. Yeah. Notice that he says, who accused you falsely on my account. This decision was made as an act of worship to God. I chose to do this to honor him. Our family made this decision, and we're experiencing criticism because of it. But we made this decision because we felt that the Lord was telling us, and we prayed about it, and we fasted about it, and we want to honor him. And yet there's criticism coming around every corner for making that decision. He says, don't feel like you got to defend yourself. Lay down that right to feeling like you always got to make yourself look good. Like, just trust the process and let me do what I'm trying to do through this thing. We lay down that right, Matthew 5, 11. We lay down the right to demand to be honored and served as Christ's followers this is good for anybody that is in a place, in a position of authority or power or clout. Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45, Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. 
For whoever would be great among you, you must be a servant. And whoever would be the first among you must become the slave of all. Jesus modeled this for us. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think that one explains itself. How about this? Got three more for you. We give up the right. Man, this one's been bothering me. We give up the right to have to understand God's plan before we obey him as Christ's followers. We see a beautiful example in Hebrews 11.8. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed what God had told him when he called him into a place where he was to receive an inheritance without knowing where he was going. He just trusted God. He put one foot in front of the other. How many of y'all right now are like trying to, you hear the voice of God telling you to move in a direction to do a certain thing, but you just lack the confidence because he hasn't made it clear enough in front of you and you want it to be clear before you move forward, but you know God's telling you to move forward. You know he's been telling you to take that step of faithfulness in your life and honoring him with your decisions, and yet you don't want to move forward because he hadn't cleared it up enough for you. As a Christ follower, we lay down the right. We lay down the right to have to understand God's plan before we obey him. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we are people who walk by faith and not by sight. This will resonate with a lot of folks. As Christ followers, we lay down our perceived right, we lay down the right, along with all these, to express our sexuality freely. Is he going to go there? Yes, he is. As Christ followers, we lay down the right to express ourselves, express our sexuality freely, however we want. You know, this, this is a popular hot topic in the day and age that we live in because there's a Rolodex of options of how you can express yourself sexually, and all of them are societally acceptable. We're not in here to discuss like what you think or what you believe or what I believe or like we're going to debate about preferences. Like we're talking about what the word of God says. You're going to have to decide what you're going to do with it the same way I have to decide what I'm going to do with it. But the timeless word of God handed down by the voice of God himself has been given to us and he has given us an outline, some bumpers of what like sexual morality is so we know what sexual immorality is. You know what I'm saying? Like he could, he could have went into detail to explain like all the nuances of sexual immorality, but we would have needed six more books to the Bible just to explain the variety of sexual immorality that we have options for at this particular time in history. So instead of like going down that road, because that'll be a never-ending journey, he decided, you know, instead of explaining to you what sexual immorality is, even though there's some examples in the Scripture, the Scripture spends a majority of time painting for us a picture of what sexual morality is so we know what the bumpers are so that we understand that anything outside of that is immorality. You get what I'm saying? That was the wise way to handle it. And the Word of God declares that sexual expression, sexual pleasure is meant to happen within the clear context and the confines of one man, one woman, within the covenant of marriage for a lifetime. That's his design. Outside of that, anything else on the list is sexual immorality. Everything from what we look at on our computer screens to ways that we physically express it or walk in it. All that's immorality. All of it. And as Christ followers, though the temptation is real, though our preferences sexually are all over the smorgasbord, 
though we are all tempted, as James says, and lured away sexually in different ways. This is why the word of God reminds us that as Christ followers, if we're going to deny ourselves and pick up our cross to follow him, one of the ways that we're going to do that is by laying down our right to express ourselves freely, sexually. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 explains this and tells us to flee from sexual immorality. Run as fast as you can in the other direction. Every other sin a person commits outside of his body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that is within you? We talked about that a little bit earlier. Whom you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. I know that's new news in this particular generation, but that is the timeless words of God. You decide what you're going to do with that. Last but not least, you're going to love this one. I should have brought this up back in during the election time, which I know we talked about it, but I'm going to bring it up again. First Peter 2, 13 through 15 says, Be subject for the Lord. This is the last one I'm going to tell you. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it's to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. Listen to me. This is the will of God, that we would be subject to our governing authorities, good, bad, and ugly, that by doing so you would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. As Christ followers, we lay down our right to rebel against authority. Because we recognize that our king is a higher king and our supreme court is a higher supreme court. And we bow our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. But in doing so, he tells us to also honor and respect and adhere to the laws of the land. There are several other places in the scripture that do the same. We aren't a people that rebel. He's not talking about pacificity. He's talking about not rebelliousness. This is important in the life of the believer. And I know that one of the things swirling around in some of our minds this morning is like, but yeah, like things have changed and they've gotten really bad. We can't just like kowtow and submit to the governing authorities in our country or people in other countries when, when things are going on that we just can't agree with. I want you to remember who was in power when those very words were said when Peter wrote them. God gave Peter those words in the Roman Empire when a dude named Nero was in power. One of the most wicked rulers in the history of the world. And if it was true to them then, then it's true to us now. And so we wonder, like, what, Dustin, what does this have to do with, with the whole series? Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want the rest that Jesus has. And what does this have to do with all that? Well, listen, like, it's going to be awful hard to come to Jesus. It's going to be awful hard to run to Jesus when you've got a parachute hanging behind you. When you've got the parachute of constantly feeling the need to rebel and defend yourself and holding on to grudges. and It's going to be hard to run to Jesus when you've got the parachute of feeling like you always have to be right, feeling like you have to build the empire of you and hoard all of your resources. Like It's going to be really hard to come running to Jesus when you're toting that kind of trailer behind you. We could just go down this list backwards. It's going to be hard to come to Jesus and find rest when you have to know all the answers before you trust the Lord. Like, the list goes on. And so he's telling us, cut the parachute, 
Some of y'all are carrying so much of this stuff in your life that it is what has caused you to be weary and heavy laden. And as you're trying to run to Jesus, all it takes is for the wind to blow in the slightest way for that parachute to catch wind and just slam you right back on the ground. It's because, because we don't want to deny ourselves. We want to hang on to what we got and say, Jesus, you come to me and give me peace and rest. And Jesus says, no, 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 you come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, every week during this series, we've done a practice to practice. You'll be able to get that on the screen up here. If you're a smartphone user, there's a QR code where you can grab this week's practice the practice game plan. We want to put this stuff into play in our lives. Let me explain it to you very simply. And you can also grab a physical copy on your way out, or you can, or you can on your way out, or you can grab one of the QR codes that are posted around the building on your way out. Here, here's basically what I'm challenging you to do this week. I, I put all those scriptures that we just looked at on this resource, and it ultimately results in maybe something backwards than what you've experienced before in your Christian walk. We oftentimes try to learn what we need to be doing to grow in our relationship with Jesus. I think the call to deny ourselves is an invitation to create a list of things that we need to stop doing. So part of our practice to practice this week is create a stop doing list. Don't do it by yourself. Allow the scriptures to inform it and bring somebody else into your stop doing list so that you can hold one another accountable, so you can celebrate with one another when you do choose to lay those things down, whether it be once or whether it be many times throughout the week, um, to to just trust the Lord and allow him to do this work in us. Let me pray for y'all as we trust God for teaching us how to deny ourselves and come and follow him. Lord, I thank you for your love for us, and I thank you that uh, before you ever called us to deny ourselves, you showed us what that looked like. When you humbled yourself as the king of glory, you humbled yourself and became a man and dwelt among us on earth and gave up your life for us. God, you surely have modeled the perfect picture of denying yourself for the sake of the glory of God. And Lord, I pray that you would coach us up on how to do the same so that we could finally come and finally have the peace and rest that only you can give. In Jesus' name, amen.